Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. The internet was abuzz this week when hackers leaked the membership database of infidelity dating website AshleyMadison.com. Among the outed members was a certain formerly disgraced Louisville football coach. When questioned about his alleged activity, he claimed he was investigating it as a recruiting tool to connect with players' moms. Bring him home, coach. Okay, fellas, we are back. Uh, today is Sunday, August 23rd. And we are 13 days of kickoff against Wofford. Uh, thank you to our new and longtime listeners, whether you were tuning in from the office, the lawnmower, your front seat, the john, or the treadmill. Uh, really appreciate everyone listening, tuning in as we get into uh, season coverage here. Uh, real quick plug for ClemsonPodcast.com. Y'all can go visit um, our website and take a look at some of the sign-up links that we have to any number of podcast subscriptions, um, whether you like to listen through iTunes, um, on your phone, or any other apps that are out there. Uh, we should have links up for those. Uh, but looking ahead at this week's um, episode, take a look at some of the headlines we've got coming out of um, the last week of fall practice as we get into um, game practice coming into the season. We'll see just what's going on with the Tigers. We'll also wrap up our position group previews um, with the special teams unit as well. Uh, so this week, the Tigers held their first practice uh, for the Wofford game. But in reality, um, this is basically a Georgia Tech warm-up practice, knowing Wofford's kind of offensive style running the triple option. Um, ben, what are, you, what are you reading about kind of this practice and our preparation? Well, and I think you hit the nail on the head there. This really is kind of a always a tune-up for Georgia Tech. I mean, we really shouldn't at this point, ha we're not going to take Wofford as a serious threat, but it is good to see a triple option offense, and I mentioned this before, having them on our schedule the same years, um, well, when we play Georgia Tech, which is going to be every year, obviously, so as long as they're on our schedule, I'm fine with having Wofford. It would be great if the Wofford game was before the Georgia Tech game. I know we don't have that flexibility and control over our schedule to do so, but if you're going to play a team from a lower division, it's good to have a team like this that... that runs this unique style of offense similar to another team on your schedule that runs it at a higher caliber, especially when we have a lot of new guys on defense, some young guys that are going to get in there. Um, it's good exposure, especially, especially week one. Um, and then to have Appalachian State after that, so you're not, you know, to focus on practicing for a team two weeks out um, and, and really just focus on Wofford, get these guys ready, get them out on the field, and see how they can do against this triple option offense. Absolutely. And I feel like any, certainly this is practice, kind of a normal week, normal leading into our first opponent. Um, but I feel like they're, they're also still working through, you know, certain elements of the depth chart and getting players ready for the entire season. Of course, you know, want to prepare and take care of business with Wofford. But, um, you know, good to see. Well, it's just generally exciting because it's going to be our first game of the year, and we're you know, usually when we're playing a team like this, I I don't get too hyped. It being the first game does affect that a little bit, but I'm also really interested in seeing what a lot of these young guys can do because they're going to get on the field early and often in this game. And, of course, I want to see Deshaun Watson. Yeah, I think this just breaks up the monotony of 
playing against offense, defense, and they're getting tired, they're frustrated. It, it gets in that mode of, hey, now we're preparing for an actual opponent. Right. And it's you're not in high school anymore, you know, for the freshmen. It's, it's a different, it's, it's a lot of prep, video, you know, sch, uh, schematic type stuff. So I think it's, it's good. You get two weeks of prep. I hope we can be offered. It's going to be a tight game. Yeah, let's hope not. <laughs> cool. Well, elsewhere, um, this will impact that game, though. Um, kicker Ammon Lakeup received a three-game suspension from Dabo and from the football team um, after his DUI and cocaine possession arrest. Um, guys, do you feel like this was a justified suspension, looking at maybe some past indiscretions and how players were handled? You know, I'm a little surprised there was only a three-game suspension. I will give Dabo the benefit of the doubt on this one, considering his history and his reputation for disappointing players. Um, I mean, I'm glad that it's not more than that. It's going to be good to have him back and available for the Notre Dame game because we do have some questions at kicker, and we'll get to that later. Um, but I think it was kind of a real probably easy decision to do this because then you can say he definitely misses the first two games of the year. And if he only missed those two against two cupcakes, then you're saying, you know, clearly that wasn't harsh enough, and that's something that a Steve Spurrier or maybe a Les Miles would do. Um, But then to throw that third game in there, it's Louisville. It is a big game. It's on the road on a Thursday night. It's our first true test of the season, and we don't have our Lou Groza award list, you know, candidate kicker um, in that game. And we're going in there with two guys who haven't really – you know, one guy that definitely has a kick before, and another guy has very limited action. So you're saying, effectively, like we are we are putting some skin in the game. This is going to hurt our team yeah. not having him on the road against this capable Louisville team. Well, and even he just got back with the team, so he hasn't been practicing with them. So now the school started, he's back with the team, but he's not getting the reps that he normally would. I'm, you know, I'm thinking he's probably just had to be kicking on the sideline himself, but he's not going to be in the in-game situations that they go through in practice. Just because you got to get these guys, Greg Heigl and Alex Spence, prepared to possibly make a big kick week three. I, I hope. The, I think if the Louisville game comes down to a field goal or two field goals, then we, we probably don't play all that well. Because it's, a, it's Thursday night. It's at their place. Traditionally, that's not good for the opposing team. But I, I still I, th- I think we should beat them. We should beat them by a couple of touchdowns. And if it comes down to that small of a margin, then we got bigger problems. So, I mean, yeah. And again, we could get into this later. But what I would like to see, at least through the first two games, is who's ever kicking is to kick with confidence and really have good strikes on the ball. If they're right or left, but they're kicked well, I'm less concerned about that. But the thing that kind of got me with uh, Lakeup last year, early in the season, was that he was just kicking some duds of a ball, and they just weren't very confident kicks. Um, so if we see that from whichever one of these guys starts in the first two games, albeit not high-pressure situations, it still gives me more confidence going into Louisville. But I'm still not going to be 100% confident that we could – win a game with a 30-plus yard field goal. I'm just going to be very uneasy well, about that. Worst case scenario, we give Deshaun Watson an extra down. And why, I mean, why not? What, I mean, you're at the 30-yard line. Why risk three points when you got Mike Williams and Artavis Scott on the outside, the best quarterback in the nation? Just give him an extra down. Well, it depends how much time is left on the clock, too. So, Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, yeah, just I mean, the three-game suspension, though, I'm actually kind of surprised. I don't know if you recall – the very B or when we, it was first announced that he had gotten in trouble, DUI, cocaine possession. I said he might get kicked off the team. So this is a, probably the reverse or the other end of the spectrum. The three game suspension. I think it's definitely the lowest amount of games that yeah. he could have feasibly have gotten. I mean, I mean marijuana well, is marijuana. You know, Sammy Watkins two year, three years ago, whatever right. it was, two game suspension. So yeah. 
and that really derailed his year. I mean, he didn't have as good. I mean, he had good a point. good year, but it wasn't as good as you know his freshman or junior years. Good thing we had new new Hopkins that year. Elsewhere, guys, we have a, a number of injuries. Um, certainly, has been a some of these are are breaking. Some of these are not news, um, and we're just dealing with you know a pileup of injuries across the the football team. Just to break down some of the the newer ones that we're hearing about. Uh, linebacker Kendall Joseph suffering a form of a knee injury. They haven't released whether or not that's um, ligament-based and how much time he'll miss, uh, but certainly doesn't um, bode well for an already thin and depleted linebacker core. It was actually, um, it's just minor knee surgery they had, a scope on his meniscus, and they only expect him to miss about uh, three or four weeks. And there's already been talk about getting back next week possibly. So, I mean, the reason this is a big deal is because he's a guy that was going to play and we're thin at the linebacker position. Um, so, again, it's good that we have a little buffer the first two games of the year, but we need to get him back for Louisville for sure. Yeah, it's, it's not just that he's going to be back by, you know, X date. It's that he's not getting reps, and this is a second-year guy. He needs reps. Yeah. He needs to be in there. We want to get him in in the first couple of games or at least get him some, some uh, you know, real live action that he's never had before. So that's why that's where – and then you said, like Venable said, it's we're in a disaster mode or a crisis, whatever you want to call it. Because there's absolutely no depth at linebacker. And I don't know. I think we're going to have to pull some guys over. But I would, um, like, from the safety positions and try to think sure. how we can offset this. But, yeah, Kendall Joseph, that's that's a huge loss, even if he's out for a couple of weeks. Definitely. Elsewhere, sticking with the defense, we had uh, a couple of hand injuries. Number one with Mark Fields, cornerback, uh, broke his pinky. And then end, Cleland Farrell uh, broke a bone in his hand as well. So between knees and hands, seems like those are the two kind of zones of the body that are frail at the moment. Yeah, I mean, Mark Fields here I think is the biggest loss as we expect him to contribute the most this year. Um, Clown uh, Farrell, I mean, he may have seen playing time this year and he may still. Um, it really is going to come down to the other uh, young guys on the defensive line and kind of how they shake out. Of course, again, same thing with Kendall Joseph being a young guy. These both two true freshmen this late in practice and when they're really starting to break down the teams you don't like to see these injuries because you want those guys in there getting reps um, you know they can still be out there learning uh, looking at formations and breaking down film but to really get their bodies ready for the season and conditioned it's kind of big for them to be out there yeah and these two guys like you said there's a little bit of depth at both cornerback and uh, defensive end but yeah you want you wanted Mark Phillips to be ready from from game one because uh, still not a lot of confidence in the corner opposite Mackenzie Alexander, and you want at least Mark Fields to be in there in that pushing in that too deep. So, uh, Clellan Farrell, uh, if he's actually get, gets thrust into action, I think that's more of an indicator that our defensive line's not getting a pass rush. So, um, anyway, yeah, what the heck, fingers and ACLs. Yeah, super strange. Um, and then uh, third string corner, or sorry, third string quarterback uh, Tucker Israel was previously in a walking boot. Um, looks like he's out of that now and able to you know, walk around on his own. So that's apparently a good sign. Yeah, so him and um, Kelly Bryant. Kelly Bryant, yeah, yeah sorry. Uh, him and Kelly Bryant really vying for the third string, and I think it's clearly Kelly Bryant at this point. Tucker Israel, we'll see. You know, again, it, hate for him to lose playing time and not get any reps with this offense this year be good for him and Bryant to battle back and forth and giving of course giving their two different skill sets um, so we'll see when he comes back and I mean I think we all have a hunch about what his future is going to be like this year but regardless still be good to have him on the field it, it 
anything running scout team quarterback position. So definitely. Um, so we mentioned it a bit, certainly some concern at linebacker overall, um, that Brent Venables is addressed. So we will you know, be following this one. Hopefully no more injuries, hopefully some breakthroughs, uh, with guys finally getting playing time and practice leading into the first couple of games of the year. Uh, but definitely the, the focus, I think of our kind of defensive question marks really centers in at that like middle core of the defense. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're really thin here right now and I don't think we can expect guys like the Davis twins to really step up. So this is going to be a situation where health is going to come into play. Like we need to avoid um, mainly at a linebacker position concussions and then the possibility of, you know, getting thrown out of the game with guys coming across the middle with the, um, the targeting, the targeting rules. And we see how loosely those can be interpreted. Um, uh, namely Gary was it Gary Peters had a, or no, was it Peters? Stephon Anthony, Stephon Anthony yeah. had that bad one last year. Um, so, I mean, these are gonna be two areas we really need to, to watch out for to keep these guys healthy and on the field and give the guys their experience probably carrying most of the workload that's a good point about the targeting because ben bulware plays with reckless abandon and right i mean he's definitely a candidate probably i mean i wouldn't i would be surprised if he doesn't have at least one maybe two targeting penalties uh you know over the next two years just yeah. that's just kind of his style of play yeah i think it's with his mindset um yeah i would he's probably a one game a year get thrown out of the game type of guy yeah, and let's hope it's Wofford. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead and get off your uh, yeah those those things I'd out in that first Wofford. game. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm de- definitely concerned about linebacker because the Davis twins, as you mentioned, Ben. I don't think they're they're they could be serviceable on special teams and maybe in a pinch in mop up time, like they could come in and and play a little bit. But I I, I don't. They always say like the phrase you. Can we win with this guy? Can we win with that guy? And unfortunately, I don't think that those are guys that you can win with. Not not the Florida, not against the Florida States or the Notre Dames, Georgia Techs. So. A- absolutely not. And fortunately, those games are more into the middle of our and end of the year. Um, so some of these other young guys we're depending on, if they stay healthy, they'll have an opportunity to get some development and be prepared for those games. But the Davis Twins, I don't think, are going to be two of those guys. Uh, elsewhere, headline-wise, what we're reading, um, Dabo had some statements about wide receiver Sharon Peak. Now that he's been healthy in, in some of the fall practices, really coming out as and emerging as basically the fastest receiver he's seen since Jacoby Ford, uh, which is high praise, knowing that J- Jacoby Ford's chops. Yeah, I, thinking about Sharon Peak, just a guy that came in with you know five-star rating and ton of hype ranked higher than Sammy Watkins but we've you know in his fifth year now we've kind of for you know he's taken kind of a backseat to some bigger names but he's another guy that's going to be in the NFL next year and that just goes to show that's that's our wide receiver position yeah certainly as long as he stays healthy I mean this guy is coming in under the radar and he could have a huge season for us this year and think about the receiving core that we have you throw him in there with starting with Mike Williams and Artavis Scott and then all the guys are you know the backups we have whether it's Hopper uh uh Ray Ray McLeod Trevion Thompson, yeah. Deion Kane. I mean, geez. And then I so it's I just think also we, like we know it's we know it's deep. We know it's an embarrassment of riches, a talent at that position. But when you think about actual matchups against defenses in the ACC and against the guys we're playing, you're going to see their number one cornerback probably facing off with Mike Williams. You're going to see them, you know, scheme against limiting Artavis Scott. That's going to leave Sharon Peak out there to be getting a lot of targets as the fastest wide receiver on the team let's think of the skill sets of these three guys that we have starting Mike Williams is the big body guy that's going to go up and 
and get the ball right down the field. Artavis Scott, while not the fastest guy in the world, he has the the just the quickness and the moves, right? Explosive and, speed, basically. Yeah, and, and, and in the open field, and then Sharon Peak being the fastest of all of them. I mean, in you know dead straight line speed. I mean, those are three absolutely fantastic tools to have out of your three starting wide wide receivers, right? It's not just one guy with all of them. We spread that around the field. How do you match up and cover that? Well, and you, you pair that with Deshaun Watson's talent at you know hitting targets downfield is sort of middle to longer range arm. Um, that's really in Sharon Peak's wheelhouse for getting out there, getting a step or two on on pretty much the second or third you know secondary option that they're going to throw against him. And the quicker that he can get down there and get open, the less time the offensive line needs to block for, and that's a big thing. That's exactly what was my thought. Like they're gonna have to do a few of those. Just get it out, maybe down the field, screen pass, just to keep the defense honest and keep them, you know, on their heels a little bit. Um, otherwise, yeah, it's gonna be blitz city, and that's not good. Well, guys, let's stick maybe with that offensive line. Um, we're also reading, and I think this this makes sense. Clemson's defensive line is sort of standing out in the fall practice so far. Um, coaches believe that Shaq Lawson's you know skill and capability is converting into making Mitch Hyatt better at taking that leap from high school to college football. Yeah, we Do you said, agree? Yeah, we said it before. This is probably the best defensive end he's going to face all year. And Sha- Shaq Lawson said that himself, too. Yeah, yeah I heard it. Yeah, <laughs> he actually said that in an interview. He's like, yeah, I'm the best guy he's going to face this year. Yeah. And I love I mean, I love it. Again, it's not, he said it very calmly, not cocky and just confident. And he, he is. He's true. And even Shaq Lawson, I think that name flies under the radar. Um, kind of like the way Stefan Anthony, his, you know, Took a backseat to some bigger names, but this guy is like a legit first-round pick, and that's the guy that Mitch Hyatt has to go up against. And the, the kind of cool dynamic there is Colin Farrell, or I'm sorry, not Colin Farrell, but um, Richard Yergin played. Will be on the two deep. He give, he offers another type of skill set, more um, you know, kind of the Vic Beasley quick first step. So Mitch Hyatt's got two guys that he gets to really um, you know learn how to learn what the college game is going to be like, and you know he's not going to there's there's going to be no surprises on the schedule. Right. I mean, when it's good. I mean, for him to go through several weeks going up against these guys, um, again, I would have been much more happy if a battle would have left before spring practice for whatever reason, just so Hyatt could have been in there in the spring going up against these guys, uh, getting more reps against them. But it is good, and the guys he's going up against, I mean, Shaq Lawson's a beast, and he's totally right. He's going to be the best defensive end that Mitch Hyatt sees all year, and he's going to be seeing him. It's not going to end with his practice. He's going to be seeing him practice between games, probably, too. So, I mean, he's going to be continue to be tested. Shaq Lawson has nothing but good things to say about him. The coaches have had nothing but good things to say about him. We're still going into it with a little bit of caution. He's a true freshman. We'll see how it pans out. But he's got two easy games to get his feet under him um, to start the season, and he's going to need to be prepared for Louisville. Just stay healthy. That's all we're asking at this yeah. point. Guys, there's... Really weird story or headline I read this week. Um, wide receiver and, I'm sorry, uh, running back and potential um, kick and punt returner, Ray Ray McLeod. Looks like he forgot to eat on his first day of class. What's up with that? Classic freshman mistake, I guess. I don't know. I didn't forget to eat on my first day of class as a freshman. Um, especially when you're a football player. I mean, these guys have to take in an insane amount of calories. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've lifted weights before. I mean, it's been about six years, but I stay hungry. I don't know how he forgets yeah. to eat, but, you know, I guess he'll, he'll learn from that. That's funny. So, well, that's that's not too bad. I think that was his worst day of practice so far, and if that comes from not eating, then it makes think, sense. Yeah. Right. So, you know, he'll learn. And this is good. I mean, these guys, these young freshmen starting to get in the flow of school, starting to figure things out. Um, so he'll be just fine. 
Yeah, there's there's bigger things that yeah. worse things like if you know Florida State for example that you know players have to deal with. If this is the worst thing that happens to Ray McLeod, then yeah, it'll we're we're in good shape. More of a funny story than anything else. Yeah. Uh, and some good news to sort of wrap up our headlines this week. Uh, scholarships were awarded to walk-ons: uh, Jim Brown, long snapper; uh, Hunter Renfro, sort of you know plays the Rudy type utility player role throughout the special teams, um, you know capacity. And Andy teased it, teased all as well. Yeah, great for these guys. And a lot of these things have been opened up for, um, you know, guys leaving the team, whether it be Battle or Evo getting kicked off. And then, of course, with uh, Corey Rogers, Corey Rogers uh, quitting football. So I think those are the three things, uh, scholarships that open up for these guys. And, you know, these guys have earned it. Jim Brown's a senior, you know, he's been behind a couple other long snappers. So, I mean, it, you know, it's good for these guys. And the team really supports them. You know, Hunter Renfro, a guy that just comes in you know, right away and earns it. So, yeah, I mean, these guys work hard, and they're just as deserving as all the other guys on the team. So it's great to see them get rewarded and not just put these scholarships in our pocket and save them for, for the recruiting class next year. You give it to guys that are on the team, they're going to contribute this year, and they've really worked hard for it. Indeed. Maybe to wrap up, Cody, any news from the rec- recruiting side? Yeah, a couple of big, big uh, nuggets here. We got to a commitment from 2016 four-star defensive end, Niles Pinkney, who is top 150 player, and it's kind of flying under the radar out in, I think it's Wells Branch out on the you know the coast of South Carolina. He um, he's I watched his film. He looks great. He's I don't think he's overpowering in terms of his, his, uh, his physical stature, but incredible measurables. He's about 6'3", 300, runs a 4'8", 40, just really, really good quickness. Reminds me a little bit of Grady Jarrett, but uh, maybe a larger version. Good motor, good lateral quickness. I think this is a, a steal, and uh, it's it's a it's a good pickup. I think he could he could come in and add quality depth next year, as soon as next year. But also, you know, long term, I think this is a guy that's he's going to be a, a game changer. Yeah, and I think this is a great example of how our coaching staff does a really good job of finding these under the radar type of players who may not get a lot of exposure and really get in there and build a relationship with them early on. And that really, you know, sticks as we see it here with uh, Niles Pickney. So, you know, just, it, it, it's like four star now is just the normal for Clemson to bring in. I mean, we don't see many three stars anymore. And I mean, again, this is just the, the recruiting uh, success continuing. Um, you know, this guy has an offer from Alabama, Alabama, Florida, Florida State, Georgia, so. It's notable that he was. Uh, he grew up a Gamecock fan, and really, yeah, and it seemed, and they played a very small piece in his his recruitment. So he actually was leaning to Clemson the whole way, which is just kind of it's kind of odd, you know. They actually, I mean, they're closer in Columbia to him to recruit him, but he was leaning Clemson heavily this this whole time, and uh, yeah, just a, a big pickup, kind of like Christian Wilkins. He came from a one A 1A school, like so the competition level is not there, and that a lot of times will alter the perception from recruiting services. So maybe that's why we can call him kind of under the radar, but I think I think this guy's talented. Yeah. I, re- I read too that um, when he did his reveal, which I believe was recorded, broadcast, et cetera, he kind of did a head fake, grabbed for the Gamecock hat, and went for Clemson officially. So kind of a nice move there too. Yeah, I don't think he was fooling anyone, but yeah. I mean, th- this kid's already 6'3", 290. He's going to enroll in January, at least he plans to. Get him in the weight room for the spring. Get him into the spring game and get some practice. I mean, he could come in and contribute pretty early on next year. I mean, these recruiting services have him, you know, number two, number three, or one here in the state of South Carolina. So this is a big pickup for us. 
Yeah, the, the def- recruiting machine just keeps rolling. Defensive tackle, we're stacked. And then uh, maybe a short note on uh, 2017 four-star offensive tackle Noah DeHond. Not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly or not, but I've always said like anybody like a year out or juniors or, or lower, I, I don't get too excited about just because the recruiting is not over. Even though you have that commitment, you you see decommits for offensive line. You see one to two years before they're really ready. So it's you know you could think this this might be a four you know four years before we actually see this guy you know on the field you know getting actual playing time. But still, nonetheless, the, you, you talk about the recruiting machine. It's starting to we're putting more of an emphasis on offensive linemen. Right. We've seen that we're starting to see results there. And this guy, just a quick note on him, he's six seven. I think he's about three hundred. Just he's got that size. Three twenty five. Is he three twenty five? Yeah. I mean, I, he doesn't look like he's super athletic, and he'll he'll continue to develop. But when you have that that type of a body, right, it's easy to project. You're at that your optimal weight. We know what you got. It's not like um, you know a two guy that's two sixty where he needs to put on thirty or forty more pounds. Right. So and you know to me, I don't really care. If it does take him four years to play, given the the depth we've been struggling at in offensive linemen, I'm always good to see quality offensive linemen commit because not all of them, not all of them are going to make it. There's going to be some injuries along the way. Um, so the more we can kind of stack up and then early on too, um, I think it's good. So yeah, 2017 might be a few years away before he gets on the field, but great to have him. Um, guys, real quick before we move it on, um, something that we hadn't planned on talking about, but kind of some breaking news right now. The AP poll has been released, and Clemson come in uh, ranked as number 12 to start the season. So actually a little bit higher than I thought. Um, yeah, so we've seen a lot of preseason rankings having us in the 17, 18, 19 range. Right. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah. And that, is that the coaches poll? No, this is the AP poll. Okay. Um, coaches so sports poll, writers. I think, was already released, right? And then the other two ACC schools, and I think there's only two, and it's Florida State at number 10 and Georgia Tech at number 16. I think that's good. ACC is getting some respect. I can't say I'm surprised at all. Like We've been all over the board in the, in the rankings. Um, some, some polls have us outside of the top 25. Uh, I, don't, I haven't really seen too many top 10. I don't even think I've seen any top 10s. But I mean, that, this is kind of like the high end. Uh, at least the, the media's got a little bit of respect for Clemson. We know we can outperform that ranking, and then the ACC, you know, Florida State, you know, they're, you know, that's probably a little higher than what they, where they should be. But I'm glad that Georgia Tech's getting a little bit of respect there at 16. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the reason this is big to be at 12 is because, it's, of course, it's better to start the season closer to the top of the polls than than closer to the bottom, just from a rankings and being able to climb and jump some people from that perspective. You know, we keep winning games. We're starting at a much closer spot to one than if we were at like 22 or something like that. Yeah, it's it's stupid. not to say we're going to end up at one, but you know, you gotta yeah. give yourself the best opportunity possible, right? No, you're right because the ultimate goal, right, is to stay undefeated, and I mean that's the only way you're going to get to a playoff. So if you're undefeated, there's this stupid logic, or it's not. I don't know what it is, faulty logic that if you're if you're ahead in the poll, you you, you generally don't leapfrog a team that's that wins alongside you. So two undefeated, three undefeated teams, for example. There's going to be an odd man out, or we should say, you know, maybe five undefeated teams in a in a best of four. So we'll throw so in there too. Uh, pseudo, um, I guess, ACC member Notre Dame got in at eleven. No surprise there. I think they're over overranked as usual. That's but good though. They, they are on our schedule. That is true. If they can maintain that and win all of their games leading up to our game, and then we beat them in Death Valley, that propels us. We could be four and zero at that point with a win over you know a top ten team. If you know. Georgia Tech takes care of business, we get them the following sure. week. Maybe they're approaching the top 10 as well. So we are going to need those kind of highly rated opponents to be able to continue to move um, up the rankings 
as we you know get later into the season against hopefully undefeated at that point Florida State. Yeah, I can't help but think that Notre Dame game. It's going to be probably an eight o'clock game. It's going to be so great for the Clemson brand, and I, I hope I kind of hope it's a close game. I hope we win. I mean, I think it's going to do a lot for recruiting. It's I want to kill them. I don't want it to be close. I want to annihilate them. I want to. I want them to do the future of where we walk down the hill. Yeah, I, I could. If they beat, if they beat the crap out of them by four touchdowns, I'm just as happy. I think I'm fine without the walking and coming down the hill feature. That I don't done. think we'll be doing that anymore. Yeah, to be honest. Yeah, considering how it went over the last time we did it. Well, um, we beat. We did beat Georgia. We beat Georgia, and we got slaughtered by Florida State. So I'd rather just the hype's there. People seen it. They're still going to see us run down the hill. Let's not give the players the distractions, especially since we're a lot younger team this year. So get out of the locker room, get on the bus, run down the hill, and take it to them. Sounds good. Great. Well, let's move on and take a look at our special teams units. Uh, Clearly, this breaks down into kickers, punters, and then return guys on both the kick and punt side. Uh, Let's start with the guys that use their leg to kick a football. Um, and start with place kickers. So where we are right now, I think we've touched on previously, everybody knows, um, senior Ammon Lakeup is now back with the team after a suspension for an arrest for DUI and cocaine possession. He will have a three-game suspension, so we will not get him back until the Notre Dame game. Uh, last year, he started the year somewhat, I would say, a bit shaky uh, in his first few games kicking, but toward the end of the year, really solidified himself, um, made us feel good about him being in that position, and as he replaced Chandler Catanzaro from from previous uh, pre- previous years, but we will be without Ammon Lakeup to start the season. Looks like Greg Heigl will be the starter, and he will be backed up by Alex Spence. Guys, how do we feel about place kicker? Well, first off, we're not going to really know that we're uh, pronouncing Greg Heigl's name right until we see the fr- first game of the year. <laughs> but we hope we are. Heigl, Heigl, Hugel. Yeah. So, anyways. It's, it's certainly not good that Lakeup is not going to start the season with us, and I think this is going to be an issue, especially going into the Louisville game. That could, that could be the game that it really cost us. We'll see. You know, haven't really seen this kid kick in person. I will say that out of behind Lakeup, all our other kickers are freshmen, and I'm always a little worried when we have a new kicker, no matter what his year is, but then when your new kickers are freshmen, then our two leading guys right now between Hagel and Alex Spence, they're both freshmen. I think Alex Smith is a red shirt. Um, Hagel, I think, is a true freshman. So this is concerning. We'll see how he kicks. You know, hopefully he comes in and he makes some big kicks against, or some good kicks against Wofford. He really gets his uh, confidence under him. Um, I really expect when Lakeup come back, so it comes back for the Notre Dame game that we're really going to need him. The question is going to be that if, if Heigl is kicking well, then I think you have to leave him as the starter going into the Notre Dame game. Lakeup's with the team again, but he's not, you know, he's not with the first team kickers. Like he's not getting those reps in practice. I mean, obviously we know what we can do. He improved as the season went on last year. So we'll see. Um, the thing with kind of Alex Spence uh, you know, he was a scholarship guy, I believe. So I'm a little concerned that he didn't come in and win that job, especially having a year of experience under his belt. But maybe that just means that Heigl really came in and did a really good job. Well, here he has a big leg. I think he's kicked some 50-plus um, kicks in practice. So I'm not sure Lakeup can do that, to be, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't, I don't think Heigl, Hugel, Hogel, whatever his name is. I don't think he has done a really good job in practice so far. So uh, I think, I mean, that's from what I've read, and then that just indicates that Alex Spence, 
Alex Spence really hasn't done a good job. And you're right, he did come in, scholarship guy. I mean, I think he was a scholarship guy, pretty highly touted as a kicker. Um, so that's not good. I mean, sometimes it takes a while for these guys to develop, so we'll see. I think Heigl, the first scrimmage um, of fall camp, I think he, he was a little rough um, in the Valley, but I think his second scrimmage that he actually did pretty well. Um, but again, this is it's one thing for practice. You know, you're gonna have to get to end game situations uh, with some pressure on you and see what happens. Again, I want to see some kicks that are struck well. They're not low line drives. We've had some issues with that apparently in the spring game, um, which could lead to blocks. You know, I want to see kicks that have some loft. They're struck solidly and they're struck with confidence. Again, if they're a little right or left or they're not hooking too bad, I'm less concerned about that. But if we get some like you know dead ducks out there that are just you know curving right and left, you know, and, and falling short, then I'm going to be concerned. We'll see how he does in Wofford, but, I mean, I never would have thought going to the Wofford game that that's something I'm be really looking forward to seeing. I know we're going to have a lot, of, a lot of opportunities to kick in Wofford, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, and you know what's, what's kind of interesting about a kicker is that you can always tell – you can tell the level of confidence that he has by the way the, the way he's kicking. I mean, the way right. the way the ball goes, that's that's where that's where you can see what's going on between the, in between the ears. And perfect examples was Chandler uh, Cantanzaro initially when he was a I think he was a freshman or sophomore when he got thrown out there. He had some issues. Same with Lakeup. Um, we thought Lakeup was talented. It turns out he needed about what two three games to really iron out you know whatever was going on, build up that confidence. I think a little more than that, but he got there. Yeah, he got there and. You know the backup here; they're not going to have time to work these kinks out to build up their confidence. So we'll know what we have, and I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if we're in a scenario where anything outside of the red zone, we don't even throw them out there. We just fourth down, we go for it. Well, I I think what I expect to see is we'll see both Heigl and Spence kick um, in the Wofford and Appalachian State games, just because I think we're going to be putting up enough points and we're going to have a you know far enough distance between us and them to get both of these guys in. And I wouldn't be surprised to see certain situations where we may normally go for it on like fourth and short at the 30 or something like that, that we run these guys out there to kick a field goal just to get them the experience of doing so. I mean, if we're up 40 to three on Wofford and it's fourth and two on the 30, send them out there for a 47 yard kick, right? And, and see what they can do. You know, I know what Deshaun Watson can do. I know what our wide receivers and running backs can do. So that's true. And, I guess, you know, looking at Emin Lakeup, whenever he does get back into the picture, uh, I guess my fear is just him, you know, not being in, like, like you're saying, not being into the swing of things. Is, are we going to have to, like, work through his confidence when he gets back? Is it going to be another three weeks, or is he going to be ready to roll? Well, I, you know, I think certainly he's been practicing, I'm sure, in his time away. And I would hope that maybe this is one situation. He matured and grew as, as last year went along. So hopefully he learned from this situation that he got himself into. And it is really going to help him mature and take the next step. Everything we hear from Dabo is that he's done all the right things that he's asked him to do, which is why he only ended up with a three-game suspension. So Whatever that means. Yeah, whatever that means. He's done everything we've asked him to do. Yeah, but, you know, again, I trust Dabo. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I think I feel a lot better, it, obviously, as Lakeup is the starter and has been with the team. We're just going to have to see what happens. We'll see that Wofford game. We'll see how these kicks look. And then, you know, we'll know, I think, pretty quickly how we're going to be feeling about Louisville. Yeah. And beyond that, I mean, I want I want optimal lake-up for Georgia Tech, for Notre Dame, for Florida State. Right. So I hope I hope he's got his head on straight and he's ready to go. 
Yeah, I think if these guys aren't getting the job done here in these first three games, then Lakers going to come back in no problem be thrown in there as the experienced guy, as a guy that's on the Lou Groza um, uh, watch list. So, Guys, who's going to be handling kickoff duty? This is another big area. I'm almost more concerned about this maybe than I am about the place kicking um, just because field position is going to be a huge thing. You know, losing Bradley Pinion um, – from last year, I mean, he had such a big leg in both punting and kicking off that he really was huge in controlling the field position. You saw he left as a junior, entered the NFL draft, got drafted, and is going to be the starting kicker for the, the 49ers. So here we're hearing that, again, Greg uh, Hagel's leading in part because he does have a big leg, you know, bigger than Alex Spence, but we still have not been driving balls into or out of the end zone, which... This day and age, they've moved the, the kickoffs up. Why, why is it still so hard to get out of the back of the end zone? So I, I think this is another area where you get talented teams that have talented returners. You could really, you know, we could be hurt. That's Florida State. Yeah, watch out. Yeah. Louisville, too. Yeah. Um, some athletic guys. Yeah, that's – you say he has the, the biggest leg, but that's not saying much if he's – talking about Heigl, if you can't kick it out of the end zone on the kickoff. Right, no, absolutely. I mean, he has the biggest leg on the team, but it may not be as big as we need it to be. Um, so, well, you know, we'll see what happens there. Again, you're going to see these first two games of the year, and you're going to see how that plays out. I mean, uh, the kick is going to show. I mean, the, the, the talent differential between the two teams isn't going to uh, mean a thing to, to knowing how well he can kick the ball on kickoffs, right? That's true, yeah. So, I mean, if Obviously, if we're kicking off to the 10 and they're only getting to the 20 because they're Wofford, whatever, that click still only went to the 10. And I know that things are only going to get worse as we play better teams. Again, soccer player. We can find somebody that can kick a, a still football. Not not round, but, you know, whatever. What shape is that, Tolly? Uh, it's sort of ovular. Ob- okay. Ovular. Oblong. Oblong. Either way, it's, it's in place. It's there. Just kick the crap out of it and, you know. Get it out the end zone. Yeah, or at least into the end zone. I feel like your your stock as a you know twenty year old male in Clemson goes up a little bit if you're playing for the football team versus the soccer team. How so, do we feel about becoming an onside kick every time sort of kickoff team? Uh, it's a gimmick. I hate it <laughs> every time. <laughs> no, 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 no. Get it? Get not feeling it, huh? No, I want our defense. Pin them back. Let our defense go to work. I like the idea of the going for it every time for fourth down. I don't like the onside kick. That's that's scary. Way too conservative. Well, we, we've, we've seen us do the go for it every time on fourth down uh, before with our kicking game situation. So let's hope it doesn't get to that point. But we have the talent on offense to make up for it. It's true. So, Can we talk about the sexy guys, the punt returners, kick returners? What about the punter? We missed we miss that. The real sexy guys in this group are the punters. They're the, the sexiest position here on this team is punting. Okay, so, um, so you touched on it a bit. Bradley Pinion um, was a junior last year. Very few juniors go out into the draft or, you know, leave leave the team. Uh, generally, you get you know four years of a guy going to senior, so that's definitely was unexpected for Dabo Sweeney and our special teams core. Uh, but it looks like Andy Teasdall is going to be the starter this year. He was a walk on, uh, was named. He's just granted a scholarship along with his backup Hunter Renfro, uh, podcast favorite or at least favorite of Ben. <laughs> so Ben, I'm going to throw it to you about punting. What can we expect here? Um, as these guys replace Pinion, who, you know, last year I feel like Pinion kept us in a lot of games with his ability to, he, uh, no pun intended, pin him back. He was so good. Not just the distance he could get on punts when he needed to, but also 
to to knock the ball down inside of the 20. He was fantastic at that. And that was a big part of the reason that he got drafted as a junior punter uh, slash kicker into the NFL. So, you know, we've got Andy Teasdall here. We've heard some okay things about him. You know, just got put on scholarship, like he said. But we'll see. You know, we're here and out of practice. They've been practicing those rugby-type punts, which just, again, that's just trying to cover up a weakness, right? So, and I never like to have a weakness. I don't like to have a workaround. I just wish we had a guy that we could put back there and trust to boom that ball down the field, drop inside the 20 when needed to. Um, so, again, we're just going to have to see. And is you know, opposite of what we've been talking about with the place kickers and the kickoffs, is that we're probably not going to see a lot of punting in the first two games of the year. So how much in, we're going to be able to see Andy Teasdall actually get out there or Hunter Renfro and get some, some punts in, you know, remains to be seen. I think more likely probably more towards the end of the game when we have the, the second and third string guys out there on the field. Um, you might see some punts then, but even against Wofford, the talent differential is just so great between even our third string guys and their first string that it's likely that we're not going to see a lot of punts until we get to the Louisville game. So, again, three areas of concern, place kicker, kickoffs, and punter. All on the kicking side, you could see that come together in the Louisville game, our first true test, and see that be an issue and cost us something. The way our schedule stacks up, there's, so, I mean, there's games where you know at least we're playing at home for Notre Dame, Georgia Tech, and Florida State, but some talent. I mean, some good teams. Just the, the margin of error is is very small. I don't. This doesn't bode well for us. These are the kind of things. It's like middle relief pitching. It, it like it, that makes or break can make or break your season. Well, and here's the thing. Even if we get Lake it back. That doesn't that doesn't account for cover up the weaknesses in kickoffs and punter, right? Lakeup really only covers uh, place kicking, so even when he gets back, you know, into the games, we still got some issues moving forward. So, yeah, it, it's not, you know, maybe it's not as doom and gloom as we think it may be or we're sounding. We'll really have to see when we get into the games, but it's certainly not our strong suit. Yeah, so. Offensive line traditionally has been a weak spot for us. Maybe we're, we're, we're addressing that now. The, we start to have some issues all of a sudden with kickers. But I'd rather have a strong offensive line than a you know, stable of great kickers. Right. Well, let's, let's maybe position to a more of a bright spot on this unit, uh, our kickoff and punt return core. Uh, looks like guys returning kicks this, this year are going to be wide receivers Artavis Scott and Jermon Hopper, splitting duty with Ray Ray McLeod, true freshman running back. Um, and I believe safety TJ Green, uh, super talented group guys, a lot of speed, a lot of talent here. Um, do you know yet who's going to be splitting up? Will it be Artavis and Hopper doing kickoffs, Ray Ray McLeod fielding punts with TJ Green filling in as, as a reserve? I, I think you're probably going to see Artavis Scott, um, or it might be Hopper and TJ Green on kickoffs back there. And then I think you might see Artavis Scott and Jermon Hopper swap duties seeing who's doing the best in punt returns and then ray 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 mcleod might get in there you know mop up time situation just to get him the experience but you said it this could be a bright spot for us this year which is going to be huge because this is we've been lacking in this portion of special teams for the last several years again we've been just lucky to or happy to catch the ball and not fumble especially on punts, just to catch the ball and get it and then let the offense go to work. So to actually go back to the days of having C.J. Spiller, Andre Ellington, uh, Jacoby Ford, guys like that, returning kicks and actually be able to take it to the house, um, that's exciting. Yeah, I think I actually think it's going to come down to Jermon Harper and Ray Ray McLeod. I think 
I think uh, Jermon Harper's kind of you know he's had some issues throughout his career, but this is something where he's he's got some great, he's got great speed. He's he's a great playmaker. This is where he could really make a name for himself. Ray Ray McLeod is I would see him you know in that punt return type situation just because you know there you do there's a, a risk of injury there, and I wouldn't want Artavis Scott just for that reason to, to be there. Um, but Ray Ray McLeod at this point he's you know two on the two or three deep. Get him in there. The guy's got unbelievable lateral quickness, and he can make guys miss. So you're looking at a guy that could, you know, possibly, you know, get 15, 20 yards every time he catches the ball. I don't know. I mean, obviously break it for a few uh, touchdowns even, but well, at, at least to get some significant yardage. Even that average start position, exactly. those gains, and if we can get a, a clear improvement on last year's offense, that helps. That changes your offense play calling, offensive play calling, and potentially could ta- alleviate some of the pressure off of a suspect or thin O-line. If we don't have 80 yards to take the ball, if we're down to like a 50-yard, I mean, we're not going to average the 50-yard line here, but you know, if we're in the, in the 40s, that can make a big difference. Well, and that being said, even in the field position game, even if we don't score where we're starting from on the field, you know, if we're starting from the 40 and get 20 yards and flip them to the other side of the field um, and then punt, right, that's better than punting from our 20. So even if we don't score, just the starting field position is going to be huge in helping to mitigate the weaknesses we have on the kicking side of the ball. Yeah, a team like Alabama, I mean, it's all about field position. They've, I mean, every the nuances of the game, every little little thing Nick Saban focuses in on, and that's why they've been so successful. Field position, absolutely, it's so important, and every little thing that helps is is great. I agree. I want to agree with the point you made earlier, Cody, about our Tavis Scott. I feel like he's going to be so instrumental to our offense that not seeing him out there, not putting him in harm's way on special teams should be something that they consider. And I, if I'm Tony Elliott, I'm talking to Dabo about, you know, let me protect my guys, my, my number one guys, you know, my number one playmakers on offense. Granted, our Tavis Scott could have a big impact on the return game for us. Yep. We do have that stable of, of talent there behind him. That I think could do just as much damage. Exactly. When when the guys Jermon Hopper and Brigham and McLeod are just as good in that in that function, or even better, then why risk you know your number one wide receiver, at least your number one playmaking wide receiver? So, well, one thing we haven't talked about real quick is the the long snapper position because this is actually big. We do have some turnover there. We mentioned Jim Brown earlier. Um, so again, you have a new punter, new long snapper, and then we also have a new holder. I believe Michael Batson. I think I may be wrong about that, but I think he's the new holder this year. So, again, these are just all new pieces of the puzzle Scary. that have to come to work together yeah. and, and go right. We could see some, you know, bad snaps, fumbled, you know, snaps, uh, you know, snaps over the head, snaps into the ground, or the you know punter and the and the long snapper not being on the same page, the, the place kicker and the holder not being on the same page. There's a lot of stuff turning right here that if any one part goes wrong. Could yeah. spell disaster. So, like best case scenario, we're 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 mentioning their names right now. The best case scenario is we'll not mention their names at all during exactly. the season. Exactly. So, guys, fly under the radar. Stay out <laughs> of the press. <laughs> Indeed, we will certainly be keeping a close eye on special teams and how we perform heading into the season. Guys, maybe as a, a last main topic, uh, looking ahead here, taking a look at who we have that's eligible. Who do we see redshirting this year? either true freshman or someone who did play last year but who still has that eligibility. Um, ben, take us through the list who you see redshirting. 
Well, I think there's a given how many true freshmen we have. There is a long list of players we could actually talk about, but I think you know there are certain guys that, barring injury, are certainly going to play, and we've already hyped them up enough. Um, you've heard about them, so I don't think we'll spend any time really talking about them. But let's talk about some more of the unknowns. Most of these guys are true freshmen. Um, the first one being uh, quarterback Tucker Israel, and. You know, he's a true freshman coming in. He's uh, got an injury uh, to his foot. And that, you know, put him out for fall camp and fall practice. So I, I think me, I think this is a definitely, uh, definite yes that he will redshirt, uh, especially considering the progressions that Kelly Bryant has made. That being said, I can see a situation where he wouldn't. Um, not just injury, but let's see how he does when he comes back. I mean, but it is big for us to get him back because we need somebody to run the scout team for sure. And he just needs to be out on the field um, and the practice field as a freshman, getting the reps and the experience. But the way things are looking, I think that, yes, he definitely should redshirt. I agree. I mean, and what's weird is you can always look back four years ago or, you know, and say, like, wow, we made a mistake by not redshirting this guy. He could play. Right. And Tucker Israel could be that kind of guy when – I don't know, Zarek Cooper, our, our guy coming in next year, maybe he goes to the NFL or he gets hurt or transfers. Uh, Kelly Bryant maybe is, is gone. So you would be like, wow, well, glad we have Tucker Israel as a, as a senior to kind of right. maybe bridge that gap. So like, it, I, I think the, we should redshirt him. Well, and the only reason you wouldn't redshirt him this year, I mean, he would be at best third-string quarterback. So that would take two injuries to Schusler and Watson. Um, and then also him beating out Kelly Bryant, who has a clear leg up at this point, considering how much action he's gotten. So, I mean, that's the only situation where you see him not redshirting. Otherwise, you keep Kelly Bryant on, the, on you know, his path, um, really wrapping up that third-string quarterback job, getting him into some games. And I think as soon as you get Kelly Bryant into some games, then Tucker Israel's definitely a redshirt situation because you don't want these four guys, um, quarterbacks, you want one of the bank to save. Uh, so in a few years down the road, you do have a core of guys and you have at least one experienced guy in the wings they could step in and, 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 you know, and take control of the line. So, yeah, I think another guy, so a couple of guys, not necessarily that I'm, uh, they're, they're on the bubble that they're probably not going to redshirt is Chad Smith and Van Smith, no relation, but Van Smith is a safety where we have a, a good bit of depth and experience depth there. So I know whether, I, I think he's just really, I think it's a good sign that even in a very, um, you know, a very deep unit. He's actually, you know, turning heads enough to where we want this guy because we know he can make an impact. But also, it's going to add a. He's going to provide value on special teams. Um, it's. I think it stinks though when it's kind of like T.J. Green kind of lost a year his freshman year when right. he didn't redshirt. I feel like that's kind of a similar scenario. Chad Smith though, linebacker. Even though I don't think he's ready, there's no way he can redshirt, and that's it's a bad position unless you're you're saying that you know the Davis twins are, are good to go, and I don't think that's the case. No, so I don't think they are at all. He's got. I mean, he's got to play. He's maybe even in the too deep. I don't know why he is considered on the bubble. Yeah, I'm kind of be surprised, Van Smith. I know we're hearing a lot of good things about him, but I you know, I, I find ourselves being deeper at uh, the secondary and the safety position, so don't really see a need for him to see the field again, barring injury. Um, yeah, the Chad Smith situation, even if we don't take some hits from injury early in the season and you just plan on keeping him out, I still think just in case something happens and somebody starts to go down because we all are so thin, 
I think he should get out there early on against Wofford and Appalachian State and get some reps in. And you just go into the season saying, you're like, no, nah, this guy, we're going to get him prepared in case we need him because we are so thin at that position. I trust Brent Venables to continue to recruit and develop players as well. So, you know, yes, it'd be great to save a year of eligibility for him, but I'm okay. You know, first of all, we're super thin. I mean, this is our, our weakest link probably on the defense. So, yeah, we're going to need it. Let's put it this way. I don't want to go in with a plan to redshirt him and then us come to halfway through the season and realize, oh, man, all of a sudden we had a couple injuries and we need to get him in there. I don't want that to happen with no experience. I want him to have at least some experience at uh, Wofford and Appalachian State and maybe throw him in there, you know, in some other, you know, game that we should win easily, um, game like Syracuse or something like that. Just he, to make sure he has the experience. And he can still play those first two games, I believe, in red shirt. I think there's a cutoff. I think. I is could there be like a certain percentage it's of It's a plays. percentage, and I don't know what it is, but I think it, it generally equates to two games. Okay. So he could get a chance to get in there see what he's got. But, again, All right, well, there's just no one there. So he's going to have to. And we'll see what happens. I mean, again, we're going to have to leave it up to the coach's discretion for this and trust them. So, and again, Venables is the linebacker coach, so he's the guy that's going to be making decisions and one in charge. You're actually right, Tully. We, we're recruiting so well there that he could actually provide more value as a backup true freshman than you know four years down the road when we might have just a you know embarrassment of riches at the linebacker position. So, right. Good point. Who else, guys? Who else are we looking at tagging this year? Well, I guess staying um, on the defense, and maybe we can jump back to a couple offensive guys um, with the injury. News coming out this week that uh, Cullen Farrell uh, had an injury to his hand. You know, I think going in, we thought we had a good upside. We thought he really had a chance to possibly come in and make an impact this year, at least get some playing time. Now we're kind of on the bubble, uh, maybe, with this guy, just because the injury is going to set him back a few weeks. And that's going to give the other guys some opportunities just to get ahead of him. And by the time he comes in, he just may not be able to catch up. He's going to miss games, likely against Wofford and Appalachian State, so two opportunities to get some playing time right there. So I think if you start getting several into the se- uh, several games into the season, then he comes back and needs some time to catch up, and then maybe you're not able to get him into the middle, you know, third, uh, the last third uh, part of the season. Is there a point? Are you going to waste a year on him? Exactly, and the only reason we would do this is probably for injuries, or. You know, you don't see the progression from Austin Bryant, the other true freshman coming in. Um, God, I thought, never thought we'd say this, but Ebo's dismissal like has really had some repercussions. And I, I mean, I just didn't see him as a you know great player doing great things, but it's actually it has a, has had a considerable impact in the way that we're you know thinking this through. Sure. Um, well, I mean, I think with Ebo more than anything else is like, yeah, we can say he got dismissed, but. Maybe he just wasn't ever going to live up to his hype anyways just because of his mindset and his attitude and his character. So, Yeah, why not have it, Austin Bryant or Clown yeah. Farrell be, you know, get that experience with a much higher upside? Exactly. So, But I still, you know, we have listeners that may be here, but I'm still generally thinking that he probably will redshirt this year. Again, major injuries aside, but we'll see. Um, yeah, like I mentioned, maybe a couple other guys on offense here to talk about. Um, first being uh, the only uh, non-true freshman we have on our list here, running back uh, sophomore uh, Adam Choice. He got into some games last year. It was good to see him play. Had an injury, um, and we're we're still really deep. You know whether any guy, one guy, is breaking away from the pack of that position. We still have a lot of guys running back that are going to get some time on the field this year. Think probably good to definitely redshirt Adam Choice, let him recover, and then get back strong in the spring and get back to playing football. 
Yeah, what, we're, so much depth there, and frankly, why why have a hobbled Adam Choice play for half a year? Yeah, I mean, we he's have not Gallman and Zach Brooks. They're gonna have. They're gonna get a lot of playing die. time this year. C.J. Davidson, mm-hmm. C.J. Fuller apparently is, Fuller. is number three on the depth chart right now. So that's what five guys that have experience and are likely to play. Then yeah, I think choice you definitely have to redshirt him. Yeah, maybe a healthy choice with a you know in his third year might be might you know break out in that group be the number two or number one right. guy maybe. But at this point, I don't even see him as a you know viable option or to add any significant value over who who we already have. I think this is a clear choice to redshirt him. No pun intended. No, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> so again, and I don't even think injuries to the running backs here even gets him into playing time, just because we're five deep ahead of him. I mean, that would that would be a lot of injuries. Ray Ray McLeod, Artavis Scott, and a pinch can play running back. Exactly. I mean. So yeah. Then I guess a couple other guys. You know, talking offensive line here. Uh, Noah Green. Uh, Zach uh, Gaya, Gala, however you pronounce it. I that. say Gaella, but Gaella. again, we won't know these things for certain. <laughs> yeah, There's just no way to know. Uh, it's, especially with him being a true freshman offensive lineman. Um, we're thinking Zach uh, does redshirt this year, uh, for sure. Uh, even though we're thin on the offensive line, he's still a true freshman coming in. He needs some time. Noah Green, we're not sure of yet. We think under all normal circumstances, you would absolutely redshirt him. But given um, kind of our depth issues at the tackle position. Exactly. It's it's surprising. I, I think the, the plan at this point is to redshirt him, but not a whole lot of depth. Something that's positive that came out is Taylor Hearn, who is a sophomore, or a redshirt freshman, has really developed a guy that was thought to be maybe a bust. But he's looking like he's going to be that guy that's going to provide that added depth at the tackle position. And Noah Green, high upside as a tackle, but definitely needs that redshirt year. Yeah, absolutely. So, again, we'll see where that goes. Injuries are going to have a lot to do with this. Um, but is going to step up any further that really warrants them getting this playing time? Or have we seen about you know where they're going to end up and they just needed to take a year, get acclimated to the college scene, they'll play on the scout team, so they'll still go up against you know our starters, but then really prepare them for the, the spring to uh, get in there and be ready to come back next year and really start to make an impact. That's the best-case scenario because both of those guys are going to help us down the road. Absolutely. Guys, let's wrap up with just a few quick headlines. I don't think we need to spend too much time on these, but um, former Clemson quarterback and legend Taj Boyd was released this week by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Do we think that might might close the book on his NFL opportunities? Well, first, Tully, thank you for calling Taj Boyd a legend because he is a Clemson legend. To make that known. Uh, second, yeah, holds I, a lot of records. I, we all agree on that. I mean, he was great for the university. This is a representative of the university, the person he was, and not only the football player, but even on the football side, all the accolades for sure. I feel just as much pride from Taj Boyd as I do C.J. Spiller, and I'm not going into who the better player is like we've done in the past, but love Taj Boyd. I think he's got a, a bright future no matter what he does. I hope it's, um, I think, a great way for him to just stay engaged. is not necessarily coaching, which he could do that too, but I wish he was, you know, is a, like a TV personality or like a you know, broadcaster. Sure. Yeah, it's, this is heartbreaking. You know, I never had a lot of confidence that, Ch- that Taj Boyd was going to land in the NFL. Although for a while there, I thought for sure that he'd get a backup job. But in, in two years, we haven't even really seen him get into um, preseason games. And yeah. if you can't crack that, you know, then, then you're probably just not built to do it. I think part of, it's, 
part of the reasons he's not sticking anywhere is his his reads and his accuracy on his throws, um, which is really disappointing. I don't know if there's an opportunity here for him to go play in the the Canadian Football League or if he'd be even interested in something like that. But I think he's certainly going to stay around football, and I still expect him to be a huge ambassador for Clemson University. I'm sure he's going to be welcomed with open uh, arms. He's an all-time fan favorite, and we really wish nothing for the best for Boyd and just hope to see him stick around and still stay active in the Clemson community and and in the football world. Absolutely. Uh, Elsewhere, Athletic Director Dan Dan Rad. Radakovich? Radakovich. Radakovich. Right. We're getting better. Uh, we'll eventually, right. <laughs> we'll eventually get it right before he's fired. That's right. Uh, Dan Rad <laughs> discussed the prospect of selling beer at uh, home football games, which is a you know it's a it's a choice that comes down to the school. Other schools have done this: West Virginia, Texas, Minnesota, a couple of others. Um, he doesn't think that this would be additive to the Clemson fan experience, and that there's sort of already you know enough. How, how did he put, put it, guys? Like enough of a groundswell for fan support that we don't need to add this to, to the program. I feel like he's, he reminds me so much of a politician saying this. He probably just got to, he gauged public opinion and he probably finds that a lot of people like Ben over here are like, no, you know, we're not going to change and, and, you know, that kind of mindset. And then he probably just, you know, just kind of articulated that and, you know, pretty much just preaching to the choir. I mean, I think ideally he would like to like to have alcohol sold at the games because it would do a lot for revenue. Do you think the opposition, Cody, is about um, not seeing fans get carried away, too drunk, etc.? Or is it that there's a certain amount of fans that don't approve of alcohol, period? The, it's, it, that, the argument against it is that, yeah. The former. The former. Okay. What, this, like saying that the the student athlete shouldn't be paid because they're a student athlete and it's going to affect their their experience in some way and I, I think it's just a it's a cop out it's not the real reason the re- real I mean I, they're not wanting to implement alcohol I mean it's just it's it's fear of change I think it's something that's unknown it's like how how can we do this I, I, I don't think it is unknown let me put in my teeth here and make this argument um I don't think it is unknown. Fans come drunk to the game anyways. There is a, a basis to, to you know, go from here. I mean, there is evidence. I mean, you can see what happens with the fans coming into the stadium. So giving them just an opportunity to continue to drink, I, I think could only, I don't see the, I don't see the huge upside. Like, I don't see, I think it could do more worse than good in this situation in a college environment. Uh, then it could do any good. Yeah, you talk about revenue, but then security is going to have to be stepped up, I'm sure. And as, as, as D-Rad says here, it's part, we may have to alter some of the other fan experiences that, and traditions that we have at Clemson to be able to implement this sort of thing. So at least in this moment, I'm kind of happy with his uh, response. It does show a little bit of a uh, uh, more human connection to Clemson like he cares about our traditions and stuff like that I think a lot of people part of the criticism of, of this guy is that people didn't see to him as a really good fit at Clemson is he a Clemson guy right I think this uh, you know brings him closer to becoming that and we got to give this guy an opportunity he has not failed at anything yet at Clemson I will say that nothing major that I know of so you know I support this decision um, and I'll stand by it. I don't think it's a part of being fear of change. Just, just, I think it's just smart. I think it's a really simple solution here. $7 beers, which might seem like 
little crazy, but there are people that would pay that. None of which are 21 or 22 and younger. Guys like us, we, we work, we, you know, we, have, we have salaries, we, we get to the game and we want another beer, it's halftime. We, we're okay paying $7. And you know what? You know how much the, the cost of a beer is? It's probably like 25 cents. So all that's profit. It's good for the university. It's good for the fan like me who wants a beer and doesn't want to walk outside to get it. I'm not inebriated. I mean, I might be, but I'm, I'm so used to being inebriated that I, I know how to manage myself. Yeah, you're right. These kids, you, but, but, what percentage of students are going to be drinking $7 beers? Very little. I don't know. There's a lot of people whose parents have more money than mine did and they just give them money to get through college. So and I think a lot of people could be in that situation. I mean, I think you bring into the fact of um, underage drinking. How, does that become easier in the stands? I mean, can you police that It's as well? You know, it's, it's rampant outside it's, of the well, stands. It's going to happen. But why yeah, why do we have bars? People can get really drunk at bars, but we have them. And bars have security if you look too drunk. Yeah, but we bars cut you off don't and have 80,000 people plus packed into one space. When you can make, again, when you can too. make... $5 profit or, more, or maybe more off of each beer, you also have money to hire a security guard it, who's making that, you know, a little bit more than that per hour. If beers actually The economics cost, make sense, right? Totally if, help me if, out here. If beers sure. actually cost 25 cents, I'm paying way too much. You ever had a Bud Light? It tastes like piss. Yeah. Comes out of a keg. Well, I'm sure it doesn't cost that much. Cents, yeah. That's right. <laughs> uh, well, maybe we can debate this more at a further time. Um, last, last update here. Looks like ESPN has discussed uh, stepping up their technology game a bit. When it comes to uh, cameras and kind of on-field recording, uh, setting up pylon cams, so you know plays at the goal line, probably get some cool angles on kickoffs, those kind of things. I am all for this. I'm all for any sort of technology that takes chance, human error, and question marks out of the game of football. I think is great. So if a pylon cam will help them make the right call on a review or a replay, let's do it. I mean, how could anybody not be for this? I mean, this is a no-brainer. I mean, why hasn't it been implemented yet? I mean, we've been talking about for years, like these. Why don't the plays. footballs have like chips in them? Something, that, you know, you can tell if it actually crossed the plane. If we can do three D virtual virtual reality uh, helmets for these players to, you know, get some some uh, practice in and get their heads in the game, then I mean, uh, putting a little tiny camera in a pylon, how hard could that be? So, question: Is there an opposition against it? I mean, because kind of like the baseball replay where they feel it might slow the game down. Is that is that a narrative out there? Because otherwise, yeah, well, this is a no brainer. I think part of it may be um, there's a safety issue. I mean, you're putting electronic devices and things that players are crashing into, falling over. Um, but I, I just think they've tested it out um, in I think uh, Monday Night Football here in the, or preseason football, and I think there was something about them using it. Um, last year uh, during the, um, the the college playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I, I imagine it's a matter of just getting the technology right, um, where it's, you know, lightweight, where it actually works, it's not faulty. Um, it, you know, whether it's Monday Night Football, a college playoff, or even just a regular, regular season game for a non-power conference, you know, they want to get this right. They're not going to roll it out at scale if it's not recording right. properly. So it may take a year or two. I remember back when they d implemented the kind of yellow first down marker line. You only saw that on a handful of games until they started to really nail that technology and get it right. So so they're really just progress. talking about right now, I mean, they're still working on safety enhancements and improving the picture quality. But ESPN is saying if, if things continue to go right in their preseason tests, that they may start using it for a Monday night football during the regular season. My question is, I'm like, you think you get this in every single game that has, if you're having replay, it's one of the most critical parts of the field to have replays, those goal line plays, especially those pileups. You can't tell. 
I mean, only the, the, the judge, the umpire standing on that line looking down can see anything that going, that's going on. For the rest of us, from the stands or from the TV, it's all pure speculation. Mm-hmm. So I think this is a very important spot to have them. Absolutely. Well, guys, that's all the time we had for today. Uh, thanks again for listening. Feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes or your favorite platform. Hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. And uh, we will catch you next time with our season preview breakdown. We'll kind of take a step back, look at the uh, entire season coming up, take a look at last year and the off season, and how ready we are. So stay tuned for that. And uh, again, 13 days till Wofford. Get ready.